Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Q1370 WQLL. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the contents in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. You're listening to Catholic Baltimore. I'm Bob Krebs. Monsignor Peter Vaghi is a priest of the Archdiocese of Washington and the pastor of the Church of the Little Flower in Bethesda, Maryland. He has authored uh, several books and many articles. His latest book is titled Meeting God in the Upper Room, Three Moments to Change Your Life, published by Servant Books. Monsignor Vaghi is on the phone with us today. Good morning, Monsignor. Good morning, Bob, and thanks for having me on your on your radio show. Well, it's it's my pleasure. It's uh, great to talk to you today. Uh, we're going to be talking about your latest book, um, Meeting God in the Upper Room. Before we do, Monsignor, tell us a little bit about yourself, though. Well, I'm a pastor of the Little Flower Catholic Church, which is in Bethesda, Maryland, right over the district line. Um, I uh, have been a priest now for 31 wonderful years. Um, I went to the North American College in Rome, where I had my theological formation. I'm a lawyer by training, but I'm in recovery now. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, your latest book, uh, Meeting God in the Upper Room, there are three key events in church history that all happened in the same place, the Upper Room. Um, why are these events so uh, significant? Well, when you put them together, it kind of it speaks for itself. I mean, the Last Supper took place in the Upper Room. Um, the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus took place in the Upper Room. And the Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit took place in the Upper Room. And I was doing research for the book. I, I kept hearing Upper Room, and I wanted to make sure it was the same Upper Room. And then I... Uh, remembered that Pope Francis had gone to the upper room in uh, uh, a few years ago, and in that upper room, he said, in this very room, uh, the Last Supper took place in this very room, the uh, post-resurrection appearances of Jesus took place, and in this very room, Pentecost took place. So I knew I was off to the races. Yeah, and uh, is is the upper room mentioned in all of the Gospels, or just... Uh, it, it is. Yeah. It is, and uh, certainly in the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's the uh, preparation for the uh, the Last Supper. Jesus sends his disciples, you know, uh, to prepare in a different way. You'll find a man in Jerusalem, and he'll take you to an upper room. And in my book, I talk about, you know, that was the preparation for the Passover meal, and certainly... On, in our level, each of us prepares ourselves, or should be preparing ourselves, when we when we go to, to Sunday Mass or when we go to Mass period, about fasting and, and also uh, preparing ourselves uh, to be in, in the state of grace. There was a very great preparation for the Last Supper. What inspired you to, to write this book? Was it was it what Pope Francis said about uh, about the Upper Room? or? I think there were really two things. First of all, I led a, a pilgrimage group uh, to the Holy Land a number of years ago, and we went in the upper room, and uh, it really uh, impressed me. when I, I was thinking then primarily of the Last Supper and relatively newly ordained priest. It was, I was very, uh, very touched by it, as were all the pilgrims. And then I was uh, doing the uh, uh, Jesuit retreat, a spiritual exercise of St. Ignatius, this is a couple of years ago, and my spiritual director said, I want you to go and spend two weeks in the upper room. This was before Easter. 
And uh, I did, and uh, used the text from John's Gospel particularly, and uh, that really inspired me. That's where basically the idea came that these were three key moments where we encounter Christ. Uh, not only do the disciples uh, uh, encounter the Lord then, but we do in our day as well in these three moments of our lives. Yeah, that's, that leads me to my next question, Monsignor. You know, uh, what is the connection between the upper room of the Gospels and the faith life of today's Catholic Christian? Is, what, what difference does it make to us today in, 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 uh, in 2017, I guess, is, is the bottom line? Well, Bob, you know, you, you've really uh, you've asked the, the, the key question of, of, of the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess we'd have to go through um, what happened in, at those, those various moments. This is not just a walk down uh, history lane, but uh, we see the upper room as an icon, if you will, or a lens of a fruitful church. And whenever we experience and seek the Lord, um, we experience the Lord in upper room experiences of our own lives. Let me give you a couple examples. First of all, in the upper room, um, the Eucharist was instituted, the Holy Orders was instituted, the Sacrament of Penance was instituted, confirmation, the origin of the imposition of hands, but in a certain way it perpetuates the grace of, of Pentecost coming of the Holy Spirit. So in all those ways, the graces from these sacraments, we continue to strengthen and sustain us, um, and that's one way that we continue to experience the presence of the upper room in our life. Mm. Another would, would go back to the Last Supper, when uh, we were focusing on service, and Jesus washing the, the feet of the disciples. Um, in my book, I refer to that as an icon of Catholic social teaching, of, of all Catholic social teaching. It's leader, servant leadership, huh? We're all called priests or lay, and when we and we meet Christ when we serve in charity others. So that would be a service component, which would be directly uh, linked to the service in the upper room. Then another example would be, and probably the most profound example, would be our prayer lives. Um, the high priestly prayer of Jesus is what they we, they call it uh, in John 17. Uh, Whenever we pray, we and John, John uh, Jesus was was demonstrating to us. John seventeen twenty twenty one was demonstrating us about the prayer of Jesus. He let us eavesdrop, if you will, on the prayer to his Father. Mm-hmm. So when we pray in, in our day, we also experience it's an upper room experience of prayer. The profession of faith would be another example. Um, Saint Thomas. This was the Easter Sunday night. Remember the post resurrection experience, and we see who was doubting Thomas the faith of Thomas began to emerge when he said, My Lord and my God. And we every Sunday we say the creed, and when we do works to witness the faith, that's another way we have an upper room experience. Um, well, another a very good example would be the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, uh, which we receive at baptism, confirmation, and whenever we call upon the Holy Spirit, uh, fills us with joy. Um, the Holy Spirit came to the disciples in the upper room with Mary. Um, these would be some examples of presence of Mary. Mary in prayer is an ex- uh, essential part of our lives as Catholics, and Mary is an icon of other church. Um, when uh, she was in the upper room praying, which turned that room into a room of prayer. And finally, and this is, this is really the, the heart of it, uh, is the apostolic zeal. that uh, the, 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 After Pentecost, they went forth and they preached the gospel with boldness. 
they were missionary disciples, in the words of Pope Francis, and that is another way that we experience the upper room experience in our own prayer lives and our own experiences as Catholics. Monsignor, what, what do you want your readers to take away from the book? Well, I think the, the idea that, um, that the, what happened at one moment or a number of three moments in history continue to have perduring effect in our own spiritual lives and development. Um, certainly through the sacramental encounters, which are uh, distinguishing qualities of us who are Catholics, um, through our prayer lives, and this, this, it takes on added weight when you consider that, that these uh, dimensions of, of, our, of our own life today were rooted in history, and we can directly point to a specific place, wherever that place was in the Holy Land, um, to, to build up our own faith in our day. Yeah. What has been the, what has been the reaction to the book? What have what have your readers? I know it's it's a new book, but what, what have you been hearing from your readers so far? Well, it's been surprisingly. Uh, I think my brother always says he's a, it's the beautiful cover, you know, <laughs> that's selling your book. Uh, it's a beautiful cover and the title. I guess we're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, but uh, but that I think is is a part of it. It's it's caught the imagination because most people say, "Well, I never thought three these sacraments were instituted in the upper room." Yeah. You know, I never. We always think of washing the feet, don't we? Because we do that on Holy Thursday. But uh, I never thought of uh, the whole upper room as a room of prayer. I mean, when we look at John's uh, uh, John's Gospel, uh, the there is a significant part of the gospel, which is uh, 14 to 16, uh, would, would be part of his farewell address. Um, in the address, Jesus says, I, I want to be, I call you my friends. The idea that we have friendship with God, uh, that's another dimension of, of what, what was the legacy of the upper room, that the, the Lord befriended us. The one that I really struck me was in John 17, he said that Jesus said, and I'm praying for those who will become my followers. He was praying for us hours before he was uh, was was crucified, already in the upper room. Mm. So there's an intimacy that we can we can take away, hopefully, from even the prayer life of Jesus, which we eavesdrop on in the upper room in John 17. Yeah. Well, the book is titled "Meeting God in the Upper Room" by Monsignor Peter Vaghi. It's available at your local Catholic bookstore or Amazon.com or any of your other favorite online retailers or at shop.franciscanmedia.org. Thanks, Monsignor. Thanks for your time today. Bob, thanks. And thanks to all your listeners. For Catholic Baltimore, I'm Bob Krebs. Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. Bishop William C. Newman, a native son whose diverse service to the Archdiocese of Baltimore included being a parish priest, superintendent of schools, and auxiliary bishop, died May 20th at Mercy Ridge Retirement Community in Timonium. He was 88 years old. There will be a viewing Sunday, May 28th from 2 to 8 p.m. at Lawbacker Hall at St. Mary's Seminary in Roland Park. A Vesper service will be held at 7 p.m. Bishop Newman's funeral mass is Monday, May 29th, 11 a.m. at the Cathedral of Mary Our Queen in Homeland. The funeral mass will be preceded by a final viewing also at the cathedral and starting at 9 a.m. In a statement, Baltimore Archbishop William E. Laurie noted that Bishop Newman was universally loved and admired and, quote, will long be remembered for his kind demeanor and his humble and generous service to the faithful of this, his home archdiocese, for so many years, end quote.
A physically imposing figure, Bishop Newman possessed an even keel and a gentle touch. One of eight children, including a sister who joined the School Sisters of Notre Dame, Bishop Newman grew up at Blessed Sacrament Parish on Old York Road and attended the parish school. He went on to Calvert Hall and had the opportunity to play professional baseball, but chose the priesthood instead. Ordained by Archbishop Francis P. Keogh in 1954, Bishop Newman served various roles before Cardinal Lawrence Sheehan, the 12th Archbishop of Baltimore, appointed him as superintendent of Catholic schools in 1967. Pope John Paul II, now a saint, appointed Bishop Newman as Auxiliary Bishop of Baltimore in 1984. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, this is Eric Zygmunt. Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, The Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have The Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to the Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice-a-week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android. And follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today in print and online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. The season of sacraments is nearly here. First Holy Communion, Confirmation, and Weddings. Visit the Baltimore Basilica, America's first cathedral, and stop by the gift shop for all of your gift needs. From beautiful frames to crucifixes and crosses, statues and one-of-a-kind rosaries, the Basilica gift shop has it all. Friendly, knowledgeable staff members can help you select the perfect gift. Also available, Baltimore's very own Mouth Party Caramels, locally designed hand-painted signs, and jewelry, plus gifts for Easter as well as an extensive line of St. Patrick's Day items sure to bring out the Irish in everyone. Visit the Basilica Gift Shop at 409 Cathedral Street in Baltimore or call 410-727-3565 for hours and directions. Free street parking available directly in front of the Basilica between 9.30 and 4 p.m. You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Q1370 WQLL. This is Catholic Baltimore. I'm Bob Krebs. Paula Darcy is a best-selling author, speaker, and retreat leader. Her latest book, available from Franciscan Media, is titled Stars at Night, When Darkness Unfolds as Light. Paula Darcy, welcome to Catholic Baltimore. Thank you. Now, Paula, your book is inspiring people to overcome the tragedies in their life, and it springs from your own experience because you had to face life after your own tragedy when you were 27. Um, would you tell us a little bit about that, if you would, please? Yeah, and and it is in, to inspire people with their tragedies, but I think also just with the challenges mm. that life brings, mm. all of that. Mm-hmm. When I was 27, I was um, traveling with my husband and my two-year-old daughter. I was pregnant, and we were struck by a drunk driver. It's the kind of thing you always hope you'll read about in the paper, and it won't be you, but it was us. And both my husband and my two-year-old daughter were killed. So 
those were very, very dark moments for me. I survived, saw myself in a hospital. I was three months pregnant. The pregnancy was intact. But every way in which I had understood life suddenly was completely changed. And I was left pretty disoriented and not even knowing what to hold on to or or where to look. Mm. So that was the darkness and that was the challenge. And in the first part of the book, I tell that not so much in terms of the details, but in terms of internally and spiritually, um, what happened to me as I went pretty much inside and found in there a, a presence, you know, which I know today to be the presence of God, which somehow, even in the dark, was a light in mm. that place and was assuring me without words, but with just a knowing you can get through this. And that began, you know, the first honest, I think, search of my of my life, yeah. reaching out for that. It must take tremendous strength to overcome something like that. Um, how did you find that strength? And and what would you say to someone who, who might say to you, you know, I could never, ever overcome something uh, like that if I had to go through what you've gone through? I would say to them that I would have sworn that to be true also of me. Mm. And you don't know. And when you're in the moment of something like that happening, what becomes available to you is is the strength, you know, from like that Christ center within. It just became available. And I just began to understand that there is a love that exceeds even our circumstances. And that if I was holding firmly to that love, even though I had many questions and many things I didn't understand that there could possibly be a way through. So you don't, you don't really do it yourself, mm. but you, you become so identified to that light um, from within. And it, it was a long process. It was a long process, a lot of tears and a lot of pain and then just sitting in the presence of that light and asking for help. Is it just a matter of focusing on the light and not the darkness? I mean, that certainly was, you know, it was a huge part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Where I placed my attention as I look back today, many years later, I realized that that was very important. And so it was a decision on your part, on your part. It was, it was, it was, I want to get through this. And I think part of that motivation was I was, I was pregnant. And so I was going to, you know, give birth and have another child. And I knew I had to, I had to find, you know, in order to, to do that. But the pain was also real. And so it Mm. had its, it had its time. It's just that in that dark place, I also found that that light was with me. Mm-hmm. That was that was the news, that the light was with you even in the dark. Didn't take it away, didn't eliminate, you know, the pain of it, but stayed with me in it. And there kept being that that persistent understanding that that right then and there, I was looking at a small piece of a very large picture. Mm-hmm. 
but that perhaps there was more. I just, in that moment, I couldn't see it. And so my prayers were so basic. It was like, God, if you're real, help me. Let me find you. And I became aware during that period that I never really had known God. I had known about God. Hmm. I had, you know, studied that. I had, you know, heard that, you know, at church and at Mass and all the prayers and stuff that you learn as a child growing up. But it was all once removed. And now I was right up against that being myself saying, then, then help me, because knowing about you isn't going to carry me through this. Yeah. I have to actually know you. Yeah. And of course, what I wanted, you know, at the time, I wanted to be like St. Paul, flash of light, suddenly yeah. you see. Um, but it came in very small ways over a very long period of time. You know, there would be someone would send me a booklet and in that booklet would be maybe one sentence that really struck me or I would meet people who themselves had been through great challenges and I would see that they had come through it and were smiling again and laughing again and I just thought if it's possible for one person then it's possible you know for any person but what you just said, you know, a minute ago was, was really key to it. It was where I was going to put my attention and whether or not I was going to hate everything because part of life had wounded me. And I, that was the choice that I made to find a way through to see what it was I was being given because the natural inclination was to see what had been taken away mm. and to stay with that. Mm. And I began to to look at something is being given to me even now. Mm. It's not the purpose I wanted. It's not what I chose. But but life, God is giving me a purpose right now. Can I see that? What has been uh, the reaction from your readers? Yeah, it's been really um, wonderful. A lot of people have written to me and said. I kept turning pages. I couldn't put it down. I read through so fast, and now I'm going back and I'm reading very slowly again, mm -hmm. which is um, really, it's a nice comment, you know, for, for an author because it said something compelled them and, and took them through. But I'm finding that people who read it are in all different walks of life and all different places in life, and everybody is finding in that kind of a template or, a, you know, a map that suggests to them, you know, here are the anchors that will really get you to a, a new way of seeing, and, and here are the, um, the things that will ground you. And we all need that mm -hmm. at all times of life. Yeah. It's, again, it's, it's whatever you're paying attention to actually becomes your lens. And that was a huge learning for me, that I was seeing in life pretty much what I was looking for, and if my if my lens was limited, then there were things all around me trying to help me, and I didn't see it. Yeah. So, surrender is a big word in in my life, and I think in the book, and it was the opening to what was actually being given, and the surrendering to that. Not really surrendering to the circumstance, but surrendering to the love of God that moves in every circumstance. So it was surrendering into the love, and people seem to be picking that up yeah. and finding that helpful. Yeah. 
surrendering to the love of God that's in every circumstance. That's this yeah. word. That's words to live by. You know, no matter where you happen to be in, in life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, the uh, the book is titled "Stars at Night When Darkness Unfolds as Light." Paula Darcy is the author. It's from. Uh, it's available at franciscanmedia.org or. Uh, at uh, your online or Catholic bookstores. For Catholic Baltimore, I'm Bob Krebs. For 143 years, New Cathedral Cemetery has served the needs of the Catholic community of Baltimore and Central Maryland. New Cathedral is the only cemetery owned by the Archdiocese of Baltimore and is the final resting place for many religious orders and famous citizens. 125 acres of rolling hills, trees, and beautiful monuments, the cemetery is an oasis of peace and tranquility and is located off Edmondson Avenue just outside of Catonsville. New Cathedral is dedicated to the task of tending to the mortal remains of our dearly departed and has many more years of available space. If you are in need of a burial site, vault, monument, or marker, or just a respectful location to place your cremated loved ones, our counselors will help you through this process and make sure the wishes of you and your loved ones are honored. Visit us online at newcathedralcemetery.org, like us on Facebook at New Cathedral Cemetery Bonnie Bray, or call 410-566-7770. Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator who would be happy to speak with you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.